Amen. And Paul, as we just sang, nothing has the power to save like the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus brings hope to the hopeless. It reminds us that the name of Jesus removes division and dissension and that competitiveness that we can sometimes see. The name of Jesus brings comfort to those who are grieving, those who are suffering. The name of Jesus is the anchor of our salvation. So glad to be able to praise that name with you this morning. Well, turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. As promised last week, we're going to look at Matthew 26 this week, and then Matthew 28 next week. Last week, it was like drinking out of a fire hose, I understand. We read, we examined, we sought to understand 40 verses. So thank you for enduring that. It was a profitable time together, but I thought I'd balance it out this week. We went over 40 verses last week, so we're only going to go over four today. So if you weren't here last week, you know, you picked the right week to be here to this week. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, a couple months ago, we examined the importance of believers' baptism as a Baptist church. Obviously, we believe baptism is important, and it's significant, and we're going to emphasize baptism again next week. But we must also emphasize the Lord's Supper, the other ordinance that Christ has given the church. There's a lot of opinions when it comes to baptism and what that looks like. But when it comes to the Lord's Supper, there's still a lot of opinions and even some confusion about the Lord's Supper. So hopefully I'll be able to clear up a little bit of that today. So let's look at Matthew chapter 26, only four verses, verses 26 through 29. Let's stand together as we honor the reading and preaching of God's holy word. It says, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you, in my Father's kingdom. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come together as the body of Christ, believers at Haven Baptist Church. Lord, I pray that you will open our eyes to see the beauty of your word yet again. Father, we have all had different weeks, crazy weeks, chaotic weeks, maybe calm weeks for some. But Lord, we are busy spinning and going and doing many different things that, throughout our weeks. So Father, I pray that you will call our attention to your word, cause us to rest in Christ. Father, I pray that we will find again that there is forgiveness in Christ. Lord, as we think about the Lord's Supper, Lord, we remember not only the words that Christ gave the disciples right before his death, right before he was crucified, but we remember that he gave these words to the church. Not just Haven Baptist, but Haven Baptist and all of the churches worldwide that they, we might remember who Christ is, why he came, 
and why he is worthy of our worship. Lord, I thank you for this time together. Lord, teach us to worship you. Lord, I pray that we will, we will repent where we need to repent. I pray that we will seek you in all things. You will teach us to walk by faith. Lord, I pray that you will open our eyes yet again to see that you are near. Your word says if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. So comfort us, as Ryan has just said. You comfort us so that we might comfort others. So Holy Spirit, would you comfort us even this morning? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Father, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord's Supper is described here by Jesus, and it is an act of obedience where the gathered congregation remembers what Christ called us to do, that we are to remember Him as we long for His return and the kingdom to come. The Lord's Supper is given to the church as the church. I believe the Lord's Supper should be observed when the church is gathered because, again, it was given to the church. While I'm pretty strict in my interpretation of this, there are certain instances when the Lord's Supper is observed outside of a gathered fellowship. One of those times is for soldiers, especially during wartime. I read this this past week, and I thought it was appropriate. In World War I, in a British section of the Western Front, just a few miles back from the front lines, there was a hut, and this hut was named Talbot House. It was a meeting place for men going up and back to the trenches. In the loft above, they served communion, truly an upper room and literally a last supper for many men. Over the door were these words, Abandoned rank, all ye who enter here. Always those words are above the place where the table is spread. We're all on the same level here. All of us are sinners. We all are sinners. We all are need to confess our sins, to seek forgiveness. And that forgiveness is found where? Through Christ. Through Jesus. So in Matthew 26 this morning, again, we are only going to go over four verses. But in these four verses, we see the centrality of who Christ is. We see importance of the kingdom. And as the as Jesus' ministry is progressing, it's advancing towards the cross. Again, we're not going through the whole chapter here, but Jesus is predicting his death. Multiple times he's predicting his death, and he knows he's going to be betrayed. Judas's betrayal is predicted, and then later at the end of the chapter we see the betrayal come to pass. But as we are looking towards the cross, as we are leading up to the crucifixion, let's stop. And pay attention to Jesus' words here, the Lord's Supper. So in these four verses, I just want to point out four things. First, the importance of the cross. Jesus came to die. Other religions will say he was a good teacher. He might have died or maybe somebody else died. No, it's very clear he came to die. He predicted his death multiple times. It was prophesied in the Old Testament. So first of all, we must see Jesus came to die, the importance of the cross. As the disciples were eating in verse 26, Jesus takes the bread and he blesses it. 
And then he breaks it. He breaks it, he distributes the bread, and listen to what he says. As he distributes the bread, he says, Take, eat, this is my body. Now this phrase has created many books, lots of articles, and we don't have time to go into rules of interpretation and how we see scripture, but suffice to say, context should guide how we view this verse. Jesus is not saying the bread he just broke is actually his body. That's not what he's saying. No, that would only, that would not only be physically disturbing, it would also be spiritually confusing. And so Jesus is not calling us to eat of his physical body. Jesus is not transforming the bread into his body. Traditionally, Catholics believe that a miracle occurs at the Lord's Supper and that the inner reality of bread and wine is changed into the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That's not the case here. That's not what's going on. As Baptists, as believers of the book, we see that the supper in a different manner. Zwingli and John Calvin have shed light on this subject in the past. This is my body means, signifies, and symbolizes what Jesus emphasized. So when we observe the Lord's Supper, we do so in remembrance as a memorial of what Christ did. Well, what did Christ do? He went to the cross on your behalf, on my behalf. We don't understand every aspect of the cross. We can't fathom every detail of the Lord's Supper, but we must see God's purpose for us as believers. It's to nourish us, it's to refresh us, and it's to remind us of who we are as God's children and what He has done for His people, past, present, and what He will do in the future. Listen to what the Baptist Confession of Faith in 1689 says about the Lord's Supper. It says, Worthy receivers, outwardly partaking of the visible elements in this ordinance, do then also inwardly by faith, really and indeed, yet not carnally and corporally, but spiritually receive and feed upon Christ crucified and all the benefits of his death. So this is why we as God's people focus and meditate on the benefits of his death in the supper. Somebody asked uh, a pastor, what kind of emotion should we have in the Lord's Supper? Should we be excited? Should we be sad? And he said, it's really a bundle of emotions. It depends on your week. It depends on what you're going through. We are mourning our sin. We are repenting of our sin. We are um, sad because We know that sin still exists. We are sad because we're suffering. But yet, we're excited because Christ will return and that He's coming back for His church. And so as we think about all of these things, as we remember the benefits of the death and the supper, we focus on the cross. That's where we begin. It's an instrument of torture, but it's become an instrument of blessing for the body of Christ. In the cross we find sacrifice, we behold glory, and we come to understand in part God's redemptive plan. Why on earth would God send His Son to die? Who was perfect in every way, yet He died. He dies so that we might live. 
So in the cross, we begin to understand a part of God's redemptive plan. The cross is mysteriously wonderful. In it, we see death, but through it, we find life. Okay, number two, let's move to the second point. We see the emphasis and the importance on the new covenant. In verses 27 and 28, Jesus takes the cup of wine, and after giving thanks, he again gives it to his disciples. What does he say in verse 27? 28, he says, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So we must see the importance, the centrality of the covenant. You've heard me speak before many times about the importance of the word covenant. Covenant is a word that we must understand. Dr. Schreiner says this about covenant. He says, if we don't understand the covenants, we will not and cannot understand the Bible because we won't understand how the story fits together. The best way we to see this is by quickly surveying the covenants in the scriptures. So the Bible isn't a bunch of random stories or moral principles to live our lives by. When I when I began to understand that, it really helps you understand the Bible as one book, 66 books, one book, one message, revealing God's glorious story, His plan of redemption, and the kingdom that is coming. So when we read the Bible, we must understand God is revealing Himself through covenants He has made with His people the special binding promise he's made with his people. We see the creation covenant he makes with Adam, the covenant with Noah, the covenant with Abraham, the covenant with Israel, the covenant with David, and most importantly here, the new covenant. Well, what is new about the new covenant? Jesus. Jesus is what's new. He comes to usher in the new covenant. He comes to fulfill the law. He calls our minds back to the promise given in the garden in Genesis 3.15, that one would come and who would set us free and who would crush the head of Satan, our great enemy. We're encouraged because the Lord guaranteed victory would come through a child of Abraham, would come as a son of David. So all the prophecies, all the promises in the Old Testament are now fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The promised one has come. We don't have time this morning, but I encourage you to look at Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36, as the new covenant is predicted, is described. Here is the second Adam, the last Adam, the true son of Abraham, the true Israel, the son of David, the son of man, the servant of the Lord, and the son of God. He has come. Israel offered sacrifices tainted with sin, Jesus would now offer himself as the perfect sacrifice without sin. And look with me, don't miss, don't overlook this. The new covenant promises forgiveness. The new covenant promises forgiveness of sins is fulfilled in Jesus himself as he lays down his life. That's why the new covenant is tied specifically with the cross. With the new covenant we find forgiveness of sins. His people are now enabled to do His will as the Spirit grants life. The Spirit opens our eyes. The Spirit uh, changes hearts so that we might believe, so that we might see, so that we might follow. So in the Lord's Supper, we remember and we rejoice that
that the new covenant is here. It was promised. Now in the death of Jesus, we rejoice. It's accomplished. The covenant is sealed by the blood of Christ. See this in Isaiah 43, also in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, verse 13. Do you have it there on the screen? Ephesians 2, 13. He says, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So, through the covenant, the new covenant, we see it's sealed by the blood of Christ. So first, we saw the importance of the cross, and now the importance of the new covenant. Third, we've already mentioned it in verse 28, the forgiveness of sins. I know you know different churches observe the Lord's Supper at different times. Some observe it quarterly. Some observe it monthly, like we do. Some observe it weekly. And there's benefits to each of those. But as we observe the Lord's Supper, we're reminding one another, we are forgiven. We can be forgiven. The forgiveness of sins is central. Here in verse 28, it says, the new covenant is poured, or this is the my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. It is poured out for many, that is the called out ones, those who believe in Jesus as Messiah. Remember, Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve, it says in Matthew 20, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And as we remember the blood of Christ and what was shed on the cross, we are encouraged by one of the purposes of the atoning work of Christ on the cross. What is that purpose? The forgiveness of sins. So this is why it's so important. When we read the forgiveness of sins, we should not be surprised that it's connected with the Lord's Supper. The forgiveness of sins is importance. Just like with baptism in Acts chapter 2 verse 38, baptism is connected with the forgiveness of sins. Here, the Lord's Supper is connected with the forgiveness of sins. Not that we are forgiven when we eat and drink, but we are looking to the cross, looking to the atoning work of the sacrifice. Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection is the key which unlocks our sins being forgiven. So as Jesus speaks of the new covenant, his blood, the atoning sacrifice, the forgiveness of sins, we must understand the link and the parallel between the three. Look with me again at verse 28. I know we've seen it a couple times, but in verse 28, sometimes we can overlook a small word at the end of the verse. It says, this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for, that's the small word, for the forgiveness of sins. What is the for, therefore? It is the Greek preposition ice, not I-C-E, but E-I-S, and it often denotes purpose. So the purpose of Jesus' sacrificial death is described here. It's for the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins is a meaningful phrase for every Christian. Every follower of Christ rejoice at the forgiveness of sins. But even here today, if you're not a believer, you can rejoice at the forgiveness of sins and be forgiven. Throughout the Psalms, I finally stopped because there's so many places, but in Psalm 32 verse 1, we see that we are blessed 
It says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Psalm 103, verses 1 through 4, we see that we our sins are forgiven. It says in verse 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. And then Psalm 130, verse 4, the psalmist remembers that in the Lord we find forgiveness. It says, with you, speaking of the Lord, if we looked at the whole psalm, it says, there is forgiveness that you may be feared, that is respected in awe of. So it's through this phrase, through forgiveness, believers always rejoice that we can be forgiven. God's loving kindness we just read of in the Psalms is on display in our lives daily. He forgives us, He guides us, and He provides for us in our time of need. Through faith in Him, we as forgivens, we as forgiven sinners are given the same life that Jesus now has. By faith, we live for God and worship Him, and we seek His kingdom. This leads to the fourth point, the last point. Our eyes must focus on the Father's kingdom. The cross is central. We see the importance of um, the covenant. We see the forgiveness of sins as central, but the Father's kingdom also is central. Our eyes must focus on the Father's kingdom in verse 29. What does Jesus do as he's preparing his disciples? He is preparing for the cross. He knows he's about to be betrayed, and yet he's preparing the disciples. In verse 29, we read this. I tell you, speaking to his disciples, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine. He knows what's about to take place. The cross is coming. Until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. From early in the Gospel of Matthew, we see the importance of the kingdom. We are called to pray, Lord, your kingdom come. Throughout the Gospel of Matthew, we see the importance of the word kingdom. The kingdom has come and is coming. Jesus has ushered in the kingdom and he will return to judge. We looked, we skipped over Matthew 25, but in Matthew 25, it describes in part the judgment that will be revealed on the last day. But, this is important, but for believers, believers in Christ, the coming kingdom is a reason to rejoice. The coming kingdom is a reason to rejoice. It's not a reason to be in fear. It's not a reason to be in dreading what's to come. But the coming kingdom is a reason to celebrate. It's described as a great end time feast in which the righteous will rejoice, but others The wicked are cast out into darkness. As the body of Christ, we anticipate, we long for the future day when we will enjoy the messianic banquet in God's kingdom. This past week, Sheena and I were answering one of our our, um, daughter's questions about what does the kingdom coming look like? It's a difficult question to answer. What does the new heavens, what does the new earth look like? Well, we see a picture of it in Revelation chapter 19. In Revelation 19, we read this. The angel said to me, 
write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. So we see a picture of feasting, a picture of celebration, a picture of rejoicing, a picture of worship. The kingdom of Satan is built on lies and deceit and will pass away, but the kingdom of God is built on the truth. Christ and his bride will reign one day with him forever. So as we eat and drink in just a moment, we do so with the weight of this fallen world in our hearts. We all know we live in a fallen world. We experience the fallenness of this world Daily, from the time we turn on the news, we see death, we see suffering, pain, sorrow. So we know the weight of this fallen world in our hearts. But for believers in Christ, one day we will eat and drink with our Savior and we will not be weighed down by a fallen world. The worries of this world will be no more. Our tears will be wiped away. Pain and sorrow will be a thing of the past. We will worship our King together forever. The Lord's Supper is a time of self-examination, but it's also a time of expectation that God's perfect plan for His people will be accomplished. So as we come together, we remember the sacrificial love of Christ in His crucifixion as He commanded us. As we come together, we are the body of believers at Haven who have been brought together. We are encouraged together as we live by faith, grounded in God's word, and guided in Jesus' promise for his people. The Lord's Supper is a sweet reminder of God's promises for you in Christ. The Lord's Supper is an opportunity for your faith to be renewed in Christ. The Lord's Supper, in it we see the beauty of the church people from every tribe, tongue, and nation coming together through a covenant seeking the kingdom together. I read this poem this past week. I'll share it with you as as we close by William Cooper. It says, This is the feast of the heavenly wine and God, God invites to sup. The juices of the living vine were pressed to fill the cup. Oh, bless the Savior, ye that eat with royal dainties fed. Not heaven affords a costlier treat, for Jesus is the bread. The vile, the lost, he calls to them. Ye trembling souls appear. The righteous in their own esteem have no acceptance here. Approach ye poor, nor dare refuse the banquet spread for you. Dear Savior, this is welcome news, then I may venture too. If guilt and sin afford a plea and may obtain a place, surely the Lord will welcome me and I shall see his face. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time together. Lord, I pray that you might remind us of your words. Pray that we might be refreshed by them. I pray that our faith might be renewed. Lord, I pray that you will teach us that you call us to come. So Lord, I pray even now as we are about to sing that we might come seeking your face, knowing that you are the good shepherd, 
that you watch over us and protect us and lead us. And Father, I pray that we will seek you as we know that we are hopeless apart from you and that we are on a path leading to destruction apart from your, apart from your grace. So Lord, we see in your word that it's by grace that we are saved through faith. And this is not something that we can muster up or do on our own, but again, it's by your grace. So Lord, lead us to understand that you have paid the debt in our place, and that it's accomplished, and we see that your plan is perfect. So Father, I pray for this church as we think about these words and as we remember your your promises, that we'll remember yet again that they are for us today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.